0: I think that the loons are are sadder than usual.
1: Well, it's a pretty heavy topic, event, occurrence, all of those.
0: Welcome to Dark Poutine. I'm Mike Brown, creator and host. With me as usual is my good friend and co-host, Scott Hemingway. Say hello, Scott. Hey, what's happening, everybody? Uh, I asked everybody. Do we wait for them to answer?
1: (laughs) Yes, before we move on with the show. Oh boy. All right, we're waiting.
0: Dark poutine is not for the faint of heart or squeamish. Listener discretion is strongly advised. We're not experts on any of the topics we present, nor are we professional journalists. We're just two regular Canadians interested in crime and the darker side of history. Let's get to it. Put on your toque, grab yourself a double-double, and a Nanaimo bar. It's time to scarf down some dark poutine. (laughs) This is episode 48, and it's going to be a special one. We're going to talk about the Great War and Remembrance Day, and the Great War would be World War One.
1: Correct. Yeah, it's, uh, well, timely.
0: It is timely because it is coming up on this podcast, will release the day after the 100th anniversary of the end of the war yeah
1: yeah and um as is called remembrance day this is it's a great opportunity for us to take some time and remember remember
0: yeah and be grateful absolutely unlike myself recently i've just been cranky my cortisol levels are through the roof with I... this silly daylight savings time i'm just grumpy well
1: grumpy er okay <laughs> I, I i'll wear that <laughs> well i i'm feeling it too man it's like I. Like I said on the Facebooks, when did it become a hundred o'clock? Yeah, exactly. It's like it's, i un-
0: yeah. Ugh. Uh, before we start, you may actually hear some explosions and things in the background. We we didn't add these. Some of them we did not add. I plan on adding some in editing. The ones that you will be hearing is our neighbors celebrating Diwali yep. or the Festival of Lights. Yeah here in surrey yeah look it up yeah it's a pretty awesome uh day actually and uh
1: you know a lot of fireworks and celebration and so
0: let's get on with the show In the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month in 1918. The armistice was signed by the warring Allied and Central Powers and their supporters. Peace came to Europe after four long years of suffering and death during the first truly mechanized war. As a child, I was told many stories of the world wars in November 11th, Remembrance Day, was meant to be one of reflection. It is not meant to glorify war from the Canadian Veterans Affairs site. The peaceful and democratic society we enjoy was created by the efforts and sacrifices of generations of Canadians who have put their lives on the line in the cause of peace and freedom around the world. Remembering and learning about all they have done helps us to better understand our nation's history and its future. Every November 11th at the 11th hour in every town across Canada and typically under dreary and cold conditions, since 1931 Canadian veterans, their families and others respectfully gather to observe Remembrance Day with a moment of silence. They honour not only those who have fallen but those brave folks who continue to serve. Wreaths are placed, salutes are made and red poppies are worn. You'll see Canadians wearing poppies in the weeks leading up to Remembrance Day as a symbol to those who have fallen. The poppy as an emblem of remembrance was popularized by Lieutenant Colonel John McRae's poem, In Flanders Fields. McRae was a field surgeon and renowned poet in the Canadian forces during the Great War. Moved after participating in the funeral of another soldier, McRae wrote the poem that most Canadian kids can recite a few lines of. In Flanders' fields the poppies blow, Between the crosses row on row, That mark our place and in the sky The larks still bravely singing fly, Scarce heard amid the guns below. We are the dead, short days ago we lived, Felt dawn, saw sunset glow, Loved and were loved, and now we lie In Flanders' fields. Take up our quarrel with the foe, To you from failing hands we throw, The torch be yours to hold it high. If you break faith with us who die, we shall not sleep, though poppies grow in Flanders fields. McRae himself died during the war, not from injuries caused during battle. As with many soldiers at the time, it was infection due to the unsanitary conditions prevalent in the field hospitals. His official cause of death was listed as pneumonia with extensive pneumococcus meningitis. Thank you, Lieutenant Colonel McRae. Thank you, sir. So there you go.
1: Yeah. We always think of the casualties of war being people shot or, uh, you know, having a grenade Well, it's also the families left behind. Death occurs in war in many other ways. Uh, It's the, as you mentioned, infections. uh, Disease. Disease. We'll get into it. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's uh no less heroic of a death in my opinion
0: no absolutely before we get going we're not going to get in as in depth as someone like uh Dan Carlin would in his hardcore history if you want a real great world war 1 podcast that goes super deep and his podcasts are like 3 hours <laughs> long go to uh hardcore history by Dan Carlin and uh and you can learn a ton we only have an hour-long podcast, so we don't want to get into it that much. Yeah, we can't get into the minutia. On August 14, 1914, World War I began with the Allied powers consisting of the UK, France, and Russia, and their partner nations like Canada and Australia, against the Central European powers, Germany, Austria-Hungary, and Italy. And after less than a year, Italy would also join the Allies, declaring war on Germany and Austria-Hungary. And what started the war? It's a little complex, but grossly oversimplified. The Archduke of Austria-Hungary, Franz Ferdinand, was assassinated by a Serbian-backed group called the Black Hand in Sarajevo. Sarajevo was under Austrian-Hungarian rule at the time, and the Serbs wanted their independence, and the group felt assassination the path to freedom. Austria-Hungary declared war on Serbia, who was allied with Russia, and Russia came to their aid. The war expanded outward from there due to many previous mutual defense allegiances already in place. Other factors were imperialism, militarism, people were building up their militaries, and that dirty word that we've heard thrown about here on the news again recently, nationalism. nationalism. Yep. Yeah. In 1914, although vast in size, Canada, and the yet-to-be-absorbed Newfoundland, had a population of only 8 million people at the outbreak of the war. Canada's contribution to the war effort was massive. Of that 8 million, more than 650,000 men and women served over the course of the war. Wow, I didn't realize the percentage of our population that went. Huge. Yeah. 2,800 Canadian nurses served in the medical corps. Over a third of the Indigenous Canadian population who were eligible, over 4,000 men, also enlisted to do their part. Wow.
1: So we're looking at when you're adding in the nurses and and everybody who went, one-eighth of our
0: population.
1: Essentially. Uh, That's uh,
0: incredible. Canada's casualty numbers were high as well. 66,000 Canadians were Hmm. killed. A soldier's odds of being killed were slightly higher than one in 10. There were also uh, a number wounded, and that was 172,000. Wow. So your chances weren't good at getting out unscathed.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, wow, a one in 10. So you're you're going...
0: One in 10 chance you're going to die.
1: Yeah, I mean... Those aren't odds that a lot of people would take, nope, so I mean,
0: but many did yeah, and and it's just incredible. There were many heroes who fought for our country in that war, and uh there were at least seventy of them who received the Victoria Cross for quote most conspicuous bravery in the presence of the enemy in World War one. That was the highest military honor a Canadian could be awarded, yeah, so they gave out seventy of those mm. Mm-hmm. Many of those who received this award had actually emigrated to Canada from all over the world later to fight for the country they'd come to now love. So there was Victoria Cross recipients who were born in India, Scotland, England, all over the globe.
1: Which really, that just epitomizes who we are as as a country.
0: In the second part of the podcast, we'll talk more about some of those heroes. First, we want to talk about an average soldier from an average family. This is the story of my grandfather, Private Courtney Tremaine Brown. Mm. Most people my age have a grandparent who fought in World War II, not World War I.
1: Yeah, just like, just like my grandfather fought in World War II.
0: Yeah, and I do have a grandfather that fought in World War II. However, here's how the timeline works. My dad was the youngest of Courtney's children, born when my grandfather was nearly 40 years old. Mm-hmm. I was adopted when dad was 31- Courtney had already passed away. Mm. So that's kind of how the timeline works. Okay, makes sense. Thanks to a kind listener whose job has been digitizing the war records of Canadian World War I soldiers, I was able to obtain my grandfather's World War record from recruitment to discharge. That is amazing. It's pretty fascinating. Wow. I'll post a link in the show notes where you can possibly find your relatives' great war records as well. Yeah. Courtney Tremaine Brown. Was born in Port Hood, Inverness County, Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, on March 19, 1899. The war had been raging in Europe already for two years when the recruiters needed more bodies. Recruiters began enlisting men in Hants, Kings, and Halifax counties. On the 18th of April, 1916, Courtney, whose regimental number was 283444, was enlisted in the 219th Overseas Battalion. Nova Scotia Highlanders, CEF. CEF stands for Canadian Expeditionary Force. Oh, okay. I did not know that. He wanted badly to serve his country, but had no real idea what was in store for him. As with many young men at the time, Courtney lied about his age to get into the war earlier. Yeah. He yeah. was only 17 and you had to be 18.
1: Yeah. And and as you mentioned, I, I'm, I'm sure most of the individuals signing
0: up really were not aware of what they were fully signing up for. Yeah. No.
1: You can't, you, you can't prepare for that kind of.
0: I mean, and what were you doing at 17? I was. I was picking my nose and watching the monkeys. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) There were no computers to verify someone's age or identity at the time. And Canadian forces abroad desperately needed reinforcements. All potential soldiers had to do was sign an attestation paper swearing they were of age and willing to serve in the Canadian overseas expeditionary force. Courtney's attestation paper lists his date of birth as 19th of March, 1898. So what's a little fudging? Yeah, yeah. His home is listed as Boylston, Guysborough County, Nova Scotia. His next of kin was his mother and my great-grandmother, Mrs. Lelia Brown. He was 5 foot 8 inches tall and slight at 119 pounds. Hmm. He was still growing and would gain an inch and a half over the course of war, according to his release papers. Oh, wow yeah so he was he was a kid,
1: well, and I'm sure not only growing physically but emotionally
0: absolutely and that the fact that he was still growing kind of drove home the idea that holy crap, he was just a boy,
1: yeah, seventeen, man, yeah, like seventeen like i it's hard to fathom what that would
0: be like to have to go fight a war. I was too busy selfishly enjoying the freedoms that. They people like for. him yeah. fought for yeah when I was seventeen. Yeah. I, I can't imagine being like responsible or, or even reckless enough to want to go to war at that age.
1: Yeah, and, and I'm not a proponent of war. I don't I don't like war, but I have nothing, nothing but respect and admiration for each individual who's gone over there to fight
0: for us. They're just amazing humans. After a few months of training at Camp Aldershot near Kentville Nova Scotia, the troops of the 219th were battle-ready. The soldiers from the 219th and other battalions were trucked and trained to Halifax, where the RMS Olympic was waiting for them to board. The Olympic was the sister ship to the slightly larger Titanic. Oh, really? Uh, also the White Star Line. Yeah. But her story is much longer As she was in service from nineteen eleven to nineteen thirty five, and as we know, the Titanic sank on her maiden voyage. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Obviously the Olympic did not. Mm. Her nickname actually became Old Reliable as she made many transatlantic crossings with Allied troops being ferried to Europe to participate in the Great War. Old Reliable. I think that's Old Reliable. I think that would be a great name to be called as a boat. Interestingly, Courtney's wife, Mm. my grandmother, Ruby, Mm -hmm. was also on a famous ship when she came from Scotland to Canada. She, she sailed on the Lusitania. Wow. Yeah. So, so that's kind of, kind of interesting.
1: My grandfather and grandmother uh, met on the boat coming to Canada from Scotland. There you go. I might think that uh,
0: the Lusitania might be a story we'll tell one day. I don't know.
1: It it, it would be an interesting
0: one for sure. This trip would be the Olympics' final trip as a troop ship during World War I. Mm. Unknown to the new recruits, people are betting 20 to 1 that the Olympic would be sunk somewhere in the Atlantic by the German submarine U-53. Jeez. It had been wreaking havoc in the northeastern seaboard of the U.S. and Canada for some time and had been spotted in the area. Jeez. So two destroyers were tasked as escorts. On Friday, October 13th, Oh boy, 1916, the Olympics set sail for England. Not the best day to go Mm-mm. Go, go sailing when there's a U boat about. Mm-hmm. However, it didn't make a difference because they arrived uh, in England on the 18th of October without incident. Phew, my birthday. There you go. Yep. They, thank you, you always mention it whenever I, well, it comes some, up. Somebody's got to. Nobody else will. No, narcissist. Yeah. After a three hour long disembarkation, the troops were put on eight trains, leaving in quick intervals, taking them to Whitley Camp near Milford Village in England. In late November, some of Courtney's mates were chosen to go to France to join the other soldiers already in the trenches. Hmm. He was held back with some other mates. We surmise this may be as his age was discovered. Oh. Regardless, this must be when he was trained as a medic. Oh, okay. Dad mentioned to me that his uncles and cousins from up Guysborough way told he and his brother, my uncle Bob, that although Courtney loved hunting and had a large collection of weapons, he was a terrible shot. <laughs> so maybe, maybe this is what held him back too. He was just like, oh, this guy can't hit a thing. Damn. He can't hit the broadside of a barn. It- we better make him a medic. <laughs> uh. On January 23rd, 1917, the remaining soldiers from the 219th were absorbed into the 17th Battalion, which was the reserves now stationed at Bramshot Camp in Hampshire, England. After that, the men of the 17th were absorbed into the 85th Infantry Battalion, known as the Nova Scotia Highlanders. Their motto, translated from Latin, is Breed of manly men. Well, wow, that's uh, masculine. It is very. <laughs> that's about as masculine as you can get. I <laughs> totally. Think. I I don't think I could
1: be a part of that. It's be, You'd be a breed, breed, breed of, of uh, scrawny
0: dorks. Breed of wispy men. <laughs> fucking, lead. I'd be the, I'd lead that. <laughs> I'd be the uh, breed of dumpy men. <laughs> We really paint a great picture of ourselves. Well, people have seen us now. Yeah, that's true. They they, they can recognize. These pictures we paint are accurate. (laughs) That's right. The soldiers of the 85th began fighting in France on February 10th, 1917. But according to records, Courtney didn't join the 85th in France until June 18th of 17, when he was actually now of age. Mm. If this is the case, he missed the battles of Arras and Vimy Ridge with the 85th but he would have been present for the Third Battle of Ypres, which is Passchendaele. The Battle of Passchendaele began on July 31st, 1917, with the aim of eliminating the German ports along the Channel, where they'd been launching their brutal U-boat attacks on Allied supply and troop convoys. The Germans had gassed the Allied troops with chlorine. The fields of Flanders were wet, muddy muck, and every time over the top, there were more men lost sometimes the gain would be mere inches when the canadians arrived in mid-october to relieve the battle-weary allied troops they were grateful from the diary of captain guy chapman of the british royal fusiliers as read by an actor for the veterans affairs canada site on the battle here's some audio the battle started three months ago they tell me the rain hasn't stopped since How many times have I stepped on a dead comrade so as not to be sucked in by the mud? The other morning, wounded who had been crying for hours, some for days, finally stopped. They drowned in their trenches. We Canadians were asked to take what remained of Passchendaele. Not a village, but a pile of rubble. We did it, but it ended there, really. 250,000 allied dead and wounded.
1: 200,000 Germans, for a pile of rubble.
0: Today, some historians say that Passchendaele symbolizes the futility of trench warfare. I'd say it was even worse. It made me believe in hell. Wow. That sounds pleasant. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Wow. After Passchendaele, Courtney and some of his pals received 14 days for leave and went to Paris. Upon returning, he joined the line again in France and Flanders. Life in the trenches was awful. In trench warfare, opposing sides dig in, facing each other. The trenches include places for sleeping, headquarters and storage. Between the combatants lay a strip of land called No Man's Land, because it belongs to no one. It was still contested. Trenches gave cover between attempts at advance and overtaking the enemy's trench, sometimes just yards away. It was cold, dirty, and wet in the trenches. Rats were plentiful, feasting on food scraps and dead bodies. Lice were everywhere. Many suffered trench foot, a fungal disease which rotted your feet away. It's brought on by having your foot in water cold and dirty for extended periods. The trenches fit that bill as it was almost impossible to stay dry. The stench was overwhelming with smells of poisonous gas, cordite cigarettes, dead bodies, overflowing toilets, mud and that of food cooking. I remember being told by my uncle that as mutton was the most popular meat eaten in the trenches my grandfather refused to eat it after the war smell is supposedly the sense attached most to memory so perhaps the smell of mutton brought back the memories another thing would have been the noise screaming and crying soldiers in pain or just out of their minds from shell shock the horrendous noise of bombs and artillery non-stop nerves on edge waiting to hear the whistle and screams of the enemy coming out of their trenches and running towards you, bayonets attached, intent on gutting you. Thoughts that you might be called upon soon, to go over the top yourself, haunted their sleep. Up into no man's land, with a swarm of thousand hot bullets flying toward you like angry, deadly wasps. Slipping and sliding in the mud, running headlong into who knows what running while trying to avoid the strings and strings of razor-sharp wire meant to cut you and entangle you, making you another obstacle. Darn right, war is hell.
1: Man, I, it's just something to imagine. You're in that trench, your name, you get called to go over. And you, you have you to go. understand at that point that this is probably the end of me. And like, what a what a painful realization and what, a, and they still go like damn heroes.
0: On April 11th, 1918, Courtney's orders came in. He was sent back to England to train to become a pilot, a flight cadet in the British RAF. Oh. He trained to fly a biplane. We don't know what type or what his assignment would have been. He was there until the end of the war. Mm. His battalion, the 85th, went on to see more action in other important battles, such as Scarp in 1918, Amiens, Drocourt, Coyant, Hindenburg Line, Canal du Nord, Valenciennes, and Sambra near the end of the war. Mm. Courtney came home to Nova Scotia after three years and one month of service. It was no just, you know, you get your single year and you're done. Yeah. You're in it for the long haul yeah,
1: and and then you have to try to assimilate
0: back into normal life well, he kind of did Wow. he went to school and became a dentist and later married my grandmother Ruby mm-hmm. and she'd come from Scotland as a youngster, yeah, as I mentioned he did. Courtney fathered four children, Robert, Anita, Donald, and my dad, Edward or Ted, as everybody calls him. Mm-hmm. Dad says his father never spoke of the war mm-hmm. He must have seen awful things Uh, yes he did show dad a photo of an overturned tank one time in a book about his regiment he told dad that he and his friends had hidden behind the tank while under heavy fire wow we'll take a break here and come back to talk about some of the canadian heroes of the great war And we're back. Woo! Thank goodness. Yeah. We'll start this section by honoring one of Canada's best-known and much-decorated heroes of the Great War. His name was William Avery Bishop, but he's best known as Billy. Lieutenant Billy Bishop was born in Owen Sound, Ontario, and was in the Royal Military College of Canada when World War I broke out. He joined the other Canadians and British allies in the trenches of Europe in 1915. Billy was bored with the standoff in the trenches and sick of the muck and the dirt. understandably, Watching an RAF plane return from a mission, Billy was overheard saying, It's clean up there. I'll bet you don't get any mud or horse shit on you up there. If you die, at least it would be a clean death.
1: You know, I I can get his thought process. Yeah. I I can totally get behind
0: that. He'd made up his mind. He applied for a transfer, trained, and got his wings. Thus began the career of one of the most storied flying aces of the era, He was credited with 72 aerial victories, only eight short of the Red Baron von Richthofen's 80.
1: Hmm, I didn't know he was so close.
0: Already decorated many times, in the summer of 1917, Billy Bishop was awarded the Victoria Cross for a single-handed attack on a German airfield outside of Cambrai, France. Wow. From the London Gazette on August 11, 1917, his citation reads, For most conspicuous bravery, determination, and skill, Captain Bishop, who had been sent out to work independently, flew first of all to an enemy aerodrome. Finding no machine about, he flew on to another aerodrome about three miles southeast, which was at least 12 miles the other side of the line. Seven machines, some with their engines running, were on the ground. He attacked these from about 50 feet, and a mechanic who was starting one of the engines was seen to fall. One of the machines got off the ground, but at a height of 60 feet, Captain Bishop fired 15 rounds into it at very close range and it crashed into the ground. A second machine got off the ground, into which he fired 30 rounds at 150 yards range. It fell into a tree. Two more machines then rose from the aerodrome. One of these he engaged at the height of a 1,000 feet, emptying the rest of his drum of ammunition. This machine crashed 300 yards from the aerodrome, after which Captain Bishop emptied a whole drum into the fourth hostile machine and then flew back to his station. Four hostile scouts were about a thousand feet above him for about a mile of his return journey, but they would not attack. His machine was very badly shot about by machine gun fire from the ground. What a remarkable story. Absolutely. My my goodness. After the war, Billy Bishop traveled and he gave speeches and taught aerial tactics, of course. (laughs) Yeah. Capitalized on that experience and knowledge. All across North America. So to Americans and Canadians. He also fought in World War II, having been given the rank of air marshal, and he was director of the Royal Canadian Air Force.
1: Wow, good.
0: Billy died in West Palm Beach, Florida in 1956. He was 62 years old. Billy's bravery and sacrifice have seen streets and buildings named after him.
1: That's the least.
0: As well, his legend lives on in books, National Film Board film called The Kid Who Couldn't Miss, and one of my favorites, a musical play called Billy Bishop Goes to War, where actor Eric Peterson plays Billy, and he does a fantastic job Mm -hmm. in that. I've never seen that. It's really great. Mm. I remember recording the whole thing on my cassette player many years ago, as I was listening to it on the radio, and I listened to it again over and over. Yeah. I wonder if my grandfather knew Billy Bishop, because they were, I guess. Well, I guess Bishop probably would have been at war when yeah. Courtney was training. I'm sure he knows of him. Oh, I'm absolutely. Yeah. Everybody knows of Billy yeah. Bishop. So thank you, Billy Bishop. Absolutely, thank you, sir. Our next hero is Margaret Clotilde MacDonald. She was born in Bailey's Brook in Pictou County, Nova Scotia, on February 26, 1873. She studied at Mount St. Vincent Academy and, against her parents' wishes, went on to study nursing in New York. She assisted as a nurse during the building of the Panama Canal and had her first military nursing job during the Spanish-American War in 1898. Hmm. She was one of the first women to hold a position of nurse in the male-dominated military. Oh, wow. As World War I erupted, Margaret became the matron-in-chief in the Canadian Army Medical Corps. She was given the rank of major which made her the first woman to receive such a designation in the entire British Commonwealth. Damn skippy and well-deserved. She oversaw them more than 2,800 nurses who who served throughout the Great War, Mm -hmm. and she was decorated in 1916 with the Royal Red Cross, and it's a military decoration awarded in the UK and Commonwealth for exceptional services in military nursing. In 1918, she received the Florence Nightingale Medal, which is for Exceptional Courage and Devotion to the Wounded, Sick, or Disabled. Pretty cool.
1: Yeah. There probably aren't many more graphic uh, uh, a role than a military nurse. Oh, yeah. She had to have seen everything. Oh, my God. Absolutely. What amazing people they are for being there.
0: After the war, she went on to help the soldiers who were brought back to Canada, Mm -hmm. but she retired two years later and returned to Bailey's Brook, Nova Scotia, where she died in 1948. Yeah. Thank you, Margaret. Thank you, Margaret MacDonald. Yeah. Uh, True hero. Our next hero, George MacLean, was of notable lineage. George was born on April 16th, 1876 in Kamloops, BC. Good old Kamloops. He was the son of Alan McLean, half native and half Irish, who was the leader of the infamous Wild McLean Boys, a group of Kamloops outlaws running amok in the area. In 1879, the Wild McLean Boys, who'd already broken out of jail before, brutally murdered Hudson Bay Company man Johnny Usher. Alan and his gang were hung for the murder in the New Westminster Jail in 1881 when George, his son, was only six.
1: it's that New West jail hanging stuff again. Yep. Wow.
0: George's mother was the daughter of Chief of the Douglas Lake Band and related to other high-ranking tribal elders in the area. Like many indigenous men, George fought in the Boer War as well, from 1899 to 1902. When World War I broke out, He was ready to serve again, as were every single male member from the head of the lake band between the ages of 20 and 35. They all volunteered to fight in the Great War. Wow! In April 1917, during the Battle of Vimy Ridge, George McLean earned himself a Distinguished Conduct Medal, the second highest award for gallantry given to members of the CEF at the time. From a note about George McLean on his great canadian war project page captured company single-handed the most interesting figure in the party in some ways is private g mclean dcm of the 54th kootenay battalion in which he enlisted at kamloops he got his medal and made his name in military annals at vimy ridge where he captured a large number of germans single-handed during the third day of the fighting, one of the officers of Private McLean's section was wounded. He carried him out of the melee, and when he returned, he found himself and a companion near a German dugout containing 60 men. McLean was carrying a number of bombs. Just as he was about to throw his first bomb, his companion was killed by his side. Then he started bombing in earnest. Pretty soon, the German sergeant major came up shouting, do not throw the bomb. McLean paused And the german asked how many more were in his party mclean answered there were 150 the german then handed over his automatic and called to his companions who emerged with their hands up mclean marched them to british lines under the cover of the german automatic the officer of this party had lived in north dakota for some time hence his ability to speak english he said that he was in germany on a visit when he was conscripted and that he had no desire to fight Private McLean says, and in this he is borne out generally by his comrades that they often come across Huns who are anxious to surrender. Wow! So he he wow. just he just lied and said there were 150 of of his pals back there, and it
1: was just him. Just imagine coming back to camp with 60 with, with prisoners.
0: Like that's amazing. Yeah, one guy, one dude. Yeah. So thank you, Jeez. George McLean, for having the nuts to, to do that. <laughs> that was amazing. Incredible man, George. Private John Francis Young was born in Kidderminster, England, on the 14th of January, 1893. He came to Canada on his own as a young man. He enlisted in the 87th Infantry Division and served as a stretcher bearer during the war. He earned his Victoria Cross selflessly saving lives. Here's his citation from the London Gazette on December 14th, 1918. For most conspicuous bravery and devotion to duty in attack at Dury-Arras sector on the 2nd of September, 1918, when acting as stretcher bearer attached to D Company of the 87th Battalion Quebec Regiment. This company, in the advance over the ridge, suffered heavy casualties from shell and machine gun fire. Private Young, in spite of the complete absence of cover, without the least hesitation, went out and, in the open fire swept ground, dressed the wounded. Having exhausted his stock of dressings, on more than one occasion he returned, under intense fire, to his company headquarters for a further supply. This work continued for over an hour, displaying throughout the most absolute fearlessness. To his courageous conduct must be ascribed the saving of the lives of many of his comrades. Later, when the fire had somewhat slackened, later when the fire had somewhat slackened, he organized and led stretcher parties to bring in the wounded whom he had dressed. All through the operations of the second, third, and fourth of September, Private Young continued to show the greatest valor and devotion to duty.
1: That is damn bravery. Right, right
0: there. Wow. So a medic running around on the field, like just putting dressings on guys. Risking his life every second he's out there to help others. That
1: is amazing. And that is brave.
0: Our last Canadian badass, and there were many, this could have been a multi-part series. Uh, We just decided to keep it to this many. Uh, This guy's name was James Cleland Richardson, and he was born in Scotland, on the 25th of November, 1895. He was enlisted at the beginning of the war as a bagpiper in the 16th Infantry Battalion of the CEF. Pipers were used to encourage their comrades forward through their piping during heaviest fire. Citation from the London Gazette on October 18, 1918. For most conspicuous bravery and devotion to duty when, prior to attack, he obtained permission from his commanding officer to play his company over the top so up over the trenches. Mm -hmm. As the company approached the objective, it was held up by a very strong wire and came under intense fire, which caused heavy casualties and demoralized the formation for a moment. Realizing the situation, Piper Richardson strode up and down outside the wire, playing his pipes with the greatest coolness. The effect was instantaneous. Inspired by his splendid example the company rushed over the wire with such fury and determination that the obstacle was overcome and the position captured. Later, after participating in bombing operations, he was detailed to take back a wounded comrade and prisoners. After proceeding about 200 yards, he remembered that he'd left his bagpipes behind. Although strongly urged not to do so, he insisted on returning to recover his pipes. He has never been seen since, and death has been presumed accordingly owing to the lapse of time. Wow. So he received his Victoria Cross posthumously.
1: It's so fascinating uh, hearing about these stories because we don't often think about individuals like bagpipe players.
0: No, you know, I don't think and, I've and, ever ever had a had a long ponderance about a bagpipe player.
1: But there they were in the world oh for sure, playing a role, trumpeters and and, yep. and being heroes. It's yep. it's amazing to 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 get these kind of stories out there.
0: Absolutely, yeah. and if you think about it, like like I said, I could have gone on and on and mm-hmm. on and on. That that would be a whole different show. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it would be World War One, poutine. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so thank you, James Cleland Richardson. Yeah, thank you. And thank you to all our brave men and women who have ever donned a uniform and fought for our freedom and way of life in any way. Thank you so much. We are absolutely indebted to you all. The Great War Ended when the armistice was signed on November 11th, 1918, the official end to World War I came with the signing of the Treaty of Versailles in 1919. That treaty left many Germans feeling resentful, especially one Austrian-born mustachioed German corporal who would later become Chancellor of Germany. But that's a story for another Remembrance Day. Mm-hmm. Maybe next year we'll tackle World War II. We'd be remiss if we did not mention the Spanish flu or the 1918 influenza pandemic that raged across the planet near the end of the war. From 1918 to 1920, 500 million were infected worldwide and between 50 and 100 million people died.
1: Holy
0: shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I would actually like to do a podcast about the Spanish flu. That because, would,
1: it would be fascinating.
0: Yeah. I've got, I've read a bunch of books about dealing with the dead yeah. during these, this uh, plague essentially. hmm And it's just crazy. But this all happened at the end of that war. And part of me thinks is, was that mother nature maybe flexing her muscles saying, you think you guys can do some damage? Look at me.
1: Well, it, it inevitably happens to this planet. It, it, you know, there's always some kind of uh, massive outbreak that kicks our species in the ass and does irreparable damn well not irreparable but does uh incredible damage thus why we should
0: all be afraid of Ebola well it also looks like uh global warming is about to do that to us as well this is true we're we're apparently tipping over that point where that there is no return fake news Mike okay Don <laughs> Mr. Trump
1: yeah no it's uh this planet
0: will win. It, it will. We. It will win at the end of it. In spite of us. In spite of us. Uh, in our research, we learned some interesting things about the years leading up to World War I and see many parallels actually globally now. Mm-hmm. I mentioned earlier uh, nationalism is yep. taking hold in many different countries and tension is growing. Yep. We see it every day in the news. Uh, we're being taught to hate. Yep. We're being taught to be offended and enraged by what others who don't share our exact values are doing and saying. I disagree with that. Do you? No, get it? (laughs) So,
1: yeah, funny guy. Oh
0: my. Yeah. We're already fighting a war of extreme ideals. The no man's land is growing between us and no one is moving an inch.
1: Yep, it's true. It's true. There's very little convincing anybody of anything anymore.
0: I'm just wondering what the, the next big thing is that's going to happen here. I mean, Trump doesn't really have his war yet.
1: Well... You know? We, the scary thing is, it's it's not just the U.S. though. If we we look at uh, no, it's a global what, thing again. Who just got elected in Brazil? Uh you know, you you look all across the globe, and mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and nationalism is is a is a key component and topic that's happening. Even here yeah. in
0: Canada, we have the Conservatives starting to make a lot of noise. Yes, yes, and uh, I have a bad feeling. Uh, Trudeau has lost a lot of support.
1: Yeah, but uh, thankfully in Canada we we are more a third party. We we have the spoiler. Yes, we Being well, the NDP. Yes, but if people are disenfranchised with one party, there still are two options. So if you are left inclined and, and you're not happy with what Trudeau is doing, there still is another left party. Yeah, and so uh, uh, I, uh, maybe I'm just grasping
0: grasping at straws to stay positive. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was for uh, dark politics. Uh, yeah, but it's interesting that here we are, uh, exactly a hundred years almost to the day yep. from uh, from the end of that great war, and we're it feels like we're on the precipice of something else. You know that yep. that whole idea, lest we forget, have we actually forgotten? <laughs>
1: We, we we never remember like it, it. Yes, we. That's what we do. It, it's the expression: "What once was will be again." Like it, it's, we're very secular, uh, uh, species, and we we tend to repeat yeah. history frequently.
0: Sadly, yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, I was watching the the. Yeah, I won't give you. <laughs> <sighs> Where do we go from here, Scott? Um, well, poutine, it brings everybody together. Well, we make us so all that, fat and lazy. Yeah, yeah exactly. Oh, it's, yeah, and you can smoke dope in Canada. It's like, yeah. You know, just like come to Canada, smoke dope, eat poutine. Yeah, everything forget, will be forget. great, man.
1: Everything will be great. Just, the world will be on fire, but we'll just all be up here eating poutine, uh, watching
0: hockey. We're all living in the matrix anyway, so. <laughs> I took both pills. I don't, I, I'm really not too sure what's happening. Well, we'll close this show with another poem from the Legion website actually called the, the Act of Remembrance. They shall grow not old as we that are left grow old. Age shall not weary them nor the years condemn. At the going down of the sun and in the morning we will remember them. We will remember them. Lest we forget.
1: Well thanks for this episode Mike. Thanks for researching this and finding some pretty amazing stories.
0: Uh yeah, like I say there were so many more yeah. that I I could have I could have added yeah. and I actually I felt bad <laughs> not talking about all 70 guys who who are were awarded that Victoria Cross. Yeah, they were all heroes. Ab- well, absolutely. Yep. And frankly anybody who showed up for that <laughs> yeah.
1: is yeah. is a hero. Yeah, yeah. I, which is I,
0: why I wanted to do my grandfather's story. Yeah. Cuz he was just a run of the mill soldier. Yeah. Like he he did his thing. Yeah. He I, showed up. I like to think I can be a brave individual, but
1: I don't think I I have the balls for war. I don't I I think if somebody is invading,
0: our generation was never really challenged like that though. No, absolutely not. We I mean, our our war was the Gulf War, which lasted like 15 minutes.
1: Well, I wouldn't diminish like there's people who I know who have fought in, in,
0: in, in Afghanistan in a lot of these wars yeah.
1: and, uh, they I'm certainly not diminishing but, their uh, contribution by it, any means. War is different now. It's not fought as much on the ground. You, you were looking your enemy in the eye while shooting them. Usually, you know, when we're talking world war one and world war, you saw your enemy. A lot of it now is targeted. You know, you're gonna have well, bombs. There's still- well but you have bombs that come in and clear things out sure. and then you come in on foot. And so it's still massive, massive dangers and just some still absolute heroes, everybody out there fighting. But war is different now than it was then. Uh so it's more,
0: it's even more mechanized now.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't make it any less terrible, horrific, or the individuals in it any less brave. But they're just—they are very different. And uh, but we—we we haven't. You go back to World War One. I. I mean, you were drafted. Well, you could
0: you could volunteer, but you also had the drelly. I don't know if there was a draft actually in World War One. Oh, really? Yeah. I I didn't read anything about people being involuntarily conscripted, but I might be Mm -hmm. wrong. I just didn't read anything. No, I I could
1: be, I could be wrong as well, but it's, it's, it's mind blowing just to think like you're just living your life and all of a sudden, no, you have to go, you have to go fight a war. And it, it, it's just insane times. I I like to think I'm I'm a brave person, but, um, um, but I, I I, I would, I would, (laughs) I don't want to kill people. Like I don't want to hurt anybody or kill anybody. So the thought of me having to do that is what would, what would destroy me. Yeah, The thought, like having to live with the fact that I, I've taken another human or hurt another human would, would kill me. So that, that's where my biggest struggles. Again, if somebody's coming to my hood and yeah. trying to hurt me and my family, I'm going to do everything I can possibly do to defend them. But I I would struggle with the feeling of of going to somebody else's home. Oh, sure. And and shooting them. So it's a, uh, but you don't know until you're tested. You don't know what you're made of. Nope.
0: I mean, I've been tested at different things, but just never in that theater. Yeah. All right. Let's get on to our Patreon shout outs for the week. And uh, interestingly... We've got two more PMs. Whoa. So we've got Kara Schmidt. Oh, sweet. From New Westminster. Hey. Yeah. Sweet, sweet New Westminster. And uh, we've got Sarah Kano, or is it Kano? Tell me, Sarah, if I pronounced it correctly. And she's from Mission. Oh. so hey, two BCers. Two BC PMs. Wow, gotta, gotta love that. That's my, pretty awesome. My, my daughter, Violet, has a friend who just moved to Mission,
1: and she's very sad that her friend moved away mission but we can still go to mission and visit her i told yeah, you yeah
0: but it's a long drive it is a long drive but
1: yay to canadian to bcpms yeah and and Thanks then care. following
0: that. that up is uh following that up is carolina Guadal- Guadalu Guadalupe. guadaloo okay. carolina guadaloo okay gonzalez sanchez well done. That is a lot of names that I had to say that are clearly somewhat Spanish. I, and I think I stumbled over them. She's from Port Moody.
1: Yeah. Another another great place. I love it there. I I think I'm hoping to hell that people start uh uh they like should... signing into Patreon with fake names. Like oh, registering no. under fake names just really difficult to try to like get you to fumble over
0: them. Maybe some people do. I think it would, I would do that. Um, so there's Maria Granath. Hey. And we don't know where you're from because you didn't leave your address, which is cool. From, so we have Anna Lina Einarsson from Örebro, Sweden. But what's, what's the place from before that? Well, that's the street. We don't want to give her street number. Oh, really. okay. All yeah. right. Because that's even that's really harder cool. to pronounce. Yeah, I was just like, "Holy crap!" But there's umlauts. There's an umlaut in Orebro. Is Ore Orebro a, a place? Yeah, yeah I've that's the place. place. Never heard it. Country? No, Sweden is the place. Oh well, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> G- Forgive Ouroboros. us. You have awesome hockey players.
1: Oh, some um, Pettersson.
0: I'm... Now this, is, uh, you Holy know, I don't uh, even know anything about. He's amazing. He's doing better. Then everybody. Everybody ever has. Yes. Gretzky yeah. and Mario Lemieux. Yes. I I'm I saw the 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 He's an exciting shit. player. I'm gonna have to start watching the Canucks again.
1: That that is really but oh Marcus Naslin, one of my favorite, favorite, favorite hockey
0: players ever? Marcus Naslin. Oh yeah. Also the, from Sweden. And the Sedines. The Sedines. The Sedine sisters. My well,
1: Damn that! They, they never, remember that they never deserve. Hit it with that. your purse. They never deserve two of the best Canucks and human beings to ever be.
0: They're fantastic men. Sweden. They did give six million dollars to the uh, Canadian uh, or to the BC Children's yep. Hospital. Yep, they which did. Uh, Mind blowing. Uh, yeah. They're great, great humans. So we love you, Sweden. And next we have. Tracy London from Port Coquitlam, BC. We're getting a lot of BC. You know, I bet you it has to do with us being on Global.
1: Maybe. We're getting a lot more. We got a lot of BC, a high percentage of BC related. uh, uh, I'm good with that. Yeah. So that's probably from our, thank you guys. Tracy, thank you. Thank you to everybody. But like, that's really neat to see. All you
0: guys should come to Victoria at the end of the month. That's right. The 24th, I think. I think so. Yeah. On the Saturday. It's going to be fun. It is going to be fun. Come join us there. Thank you so much to our patrons, past and present, for your pledges. We really appreciate your support of the show. Uh, If you want to help support the show, you can do so at patreon.com slash darkpoutine, or for a one-time support, you can send us some donut money via PayPal at our email address, darkpoutinepodcast at gmail.com.
1: I'm going to personally call out one of our listeners, BC Ariel. Come on, I know you support, you're a Patreon subscriber for Sword and Scale. Come on, don't let us down. What? I know. Come on, Ariel. She does it for Sword and Scale? And not us. Ariel. We, like, we've... Ugh. Yeah. We'll come come and throw eggs at your place. I am disgusted. Yes.
0: Not really. No, no, God, no, no. She's been such a dedicated listener. Uh, (laughs) Check out our website darkpoutine.com. I also got darkpoutine.ca just so you know, it all goes to the same place. Yeah, because I didn't want somebody to take that. No, that makes sense, yeah. Please follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Just search Dark Poutine and tell your friends about us. You can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast directory like iTunes, Podcast, Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, or Spotify. That's it for this week. Woo! That was a gooder. Yeah. So remember to remember, folks. Yeah, don't forget. Don't forget to remember. And also, don't forget to be a good egg and not a bad apple. Bye bye, everybody. (laughs) Goodbye.